I'm creating value for people and I'm monetizing that. And that, that keeps the whole flywheel going. That keeps the business going. We can employ more people. We can help these people because they have jobs. So I'm creating value there. And then I realized, okay, we're in all these stores. How do we get awareness of this product that can provide this great value for people? Well, I need people to talk about it. It's all word of mouth. It's always been word of mouth throughout human history, right? Why do people move somewhere else? Oh, the animals are over there. You have more food. Okay, we'll go over there. Word of mouth, right? <laughs> That's the OG marketing. We need this. food. I heard there's food over there. <laughs> Let's go, right? What's up? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I started a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. Each week, we interview people on topics of business, health, relationships, mindset, and much more to help us thrive in all areas of life. If the messages in this podcast resonate with you, but you're still feeling a little bit stuck in actually implementing these ideas, I'd love to help you on a more personalized level or connect you with somebody that can. So please reach out. Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's episode is with Billy Bosch, founder of Iconic Protein. Iconic was developed due to a health crisis that Billy had, which he solved with changes to his diet with the help of a dietitian rather than the pharmaceuticals prescribed by his physician. Over the course of this conversation, we chat about Billy's entrepreneurial journey, how he came up with the idea to start and scale Iconic, and how much energy, ingenuity, and positive spirit are needed to make sure your dreams stay alive. I love this conversation because Billy brings an infectious energy that I know will transfer through to you. So if you're looking for tips and tricks in business, as well as some comedic relief along the way, Billy brings it all. Please welcome to the show, Billy Bosch. What is up, Thrive Fam? CJ Finley here again with another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast. And today I'm super stoked uh, to have a chance to chat with my buddy Billy Bosch, who is the founder of Iconic. The cool thing about this conversation is this conversation pretty much started with me drinking the protein just randomly in an HEB probably years ago is mm -hmm. when I first tried it. Um, and then having you stumble upon Squatch Frontier Fitness out here in Austin where uh, I'm affiliated with and we were running an event and you dropped your product off and it was super cool to put a face to the name. So without further ado, I'd love to welcome you, Billy, into the little podcast studio we have here. How are you doing today? I'm great, man. Loving a beautiful, warm day in Austin. I mean, it's hot, but hot hey. or warm. <laughs> <laughs> Someone asked me, what's the difference between heat and cities like, you know, L.A. and Miami and Austin? I said, well, in L.A., it doesn't get hot. Uh, people think it gets hot, but it doesn't. In Austin, you feel like you're being baked like a cookie. And in Miami, it's like just like a warm, swampy heat with a breeze. Right. Yeah. yeah, Miami's super interesting because it is hot and humid, but you have the beach right there. So yeah. it's just like if you get off the beach, then there's going to be a problem. Yeah, um, it's been really, really hot here in Austin, Texas this year. I can't remember it ever being like a hundred every single day, yeah. um, and it hasn't rained at all. And crazy enough, I didn't think we we're going to chat about this, but now that we're talking about this. My buddy, Kevin DeBruin, who's been on the show before, uh, was coming to visit the other day, and he's driving down the street mm -hmm. on the east side here in Austin, Texas, yeah. and he sees a brush fire start. It literally was, it started as like five feet, mm -hmm. and the end of the video, like, he he's calling me, and he's like, dude, I'm going to be late because of a fire. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> he sends me this video, and 
I'm, I'm kidding you not. It's like an acre fire. And he called the fire department. They showed up within three minutes, apparently. Whoa. But apparently, yeah, like brush fires are now a thing on the east side of Austin, Texas. That's how hot On it the is. east side. Yeah. Like on the, like <laughs> pretty much right down the, when we hop off this, I'm going to show you yeah. the video. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah. you know what? This will be funny. I could show it right <laughs> here, right now. Um, but while I'm pulling this video up to yeah. show, yeah. Uh, Billy, one of the things that connected with me the most when we... When, I, when I'm looking at your content prior to jumping on here, funny, it has to do with grass as well, mm -hmm. is you're mentioning you got your start in entrepreneurship as a kid, like cutting grass. And that really hit home with me. And it made me start thinking about like all the odd jobs that I've had over the years. So my first question for you is what is like the worst odd job? that you've ever had in your entire life. And before you answer, let me show you this video real quick. <laughs> I'm sure this that's fire what he video. saw. Whoa. Yeah, that's crazy. And just right here on the east side. Check yeah. that out for people watching on video. Yeah. Literally on the east side, right where I used to live, fire. So hopefully nobody was injured. I think they put it out because he, he, I mean, I know they put it out, but I yeah. think they got there in time uh, for nothing to happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, enough with the crazy brush fires. What? <laughs> Was the craziest, most annoying, worst odd job? Oh man, that CJ, there were so many. Uh, and what's great about all these like awful jobs, especially when you're a, a teenager, uh, is it's incentive to, to for me to go to school and incentive to like have a job where I can work mostly in air conditioning, <laughs> <laughs> especially in Louisiana. It's underrated, so, right? Exactly. So I have a um, there's a few family businesses, uh, and I have an uncle that's got an, an industrial scale company. So what they do is, you know where, where, how you see these way stations off the side of the interstate? Mm -hmm. Okay, 18 wheelers, they gotta go away, make sure they're not overweight. Well, he's the one that calibrates those, installs them, repairs them all, all that kind of stuff. So I go work with him for a few weeks one summer. I'm like, this will be cool, you know, checking out scales, whatever, and he's like, yeah, man, so here's the deal. You're smaller than me, so you're gonna get under that scale, we gotta clean it out. Because all these trucks hauling stuff, right? Like one of them was at a paper mill, and paper mills actually don't smell like paper. They smell awful. <laughs> they just smell really bad. Um, and we go to this paper mill, and I got to climb under this thing. And it's got all this, like, wet, like, rotting wood underneath. And I have to, like, clean it out basically by hand with a small shovel so that they can, like, recalibrate the scale. And at that point, I was like, I think I'll go to college. <laughs> I, first of all, I don't think I've, I've, I've noticed those way stations, uh -huh. but I really never understood. First off, I never seen anybody go into the way station. Yeah. So I don't know what the way station looks like. So when a truck driver comes into the way station, like how long is that process? And run us through a little bit more. This is me being super nerdy. Yeah. You said you're cleaning it out, but like what, what does that look like so I can visualize it? Yeah, so essentially you have a platform that is what you would imagine for a scale. So imagine a scale you stepped on. These are made of some type of metal material. So let's just say this one's made of like a huge plate of stainless steel. So a truck pulls onto this thing and underneath the scale, uh, there's uh, uh, basically a system that, that helps measure it, right? But there's usually a gap of about, I don't know, call it a foot, where there's some um, basically like uh, hydraulics, right? Okay. That, help, that help lift this truck up and, and balance it out for the, for the measuring process. And when you, you know, things get under there, especially if you're at a factory or plant or something like that, things fall off the truck. And so you've got to get under there because there's like hundreds of trucks on this yeah. thing, uh, thousands over time. 
and at an interstate stop, um, it's going to be the same thing. They're going to have to like recalibrate it every so often because the truck says, hey, I'm, I'm actually not overweight. I checked my load, this, that, and the other. So you want to make sure you're tracking how often. So like, you know, every call it three months, these things have to be calibrated. And how do you calibrate it? This is the other pretty tough part of that job. You have to put weights on that are specifically measured. And in Louisiana, where I grew up, uh, the state actually checks the weight. So you have to go to the, the, some state agency. They make sure your weights are exact, like to the like 10th decimal point, all right? And then those weights are certified. And then you can use tho those weights to go calibrate any of the scales uh, at all these plants, right? So but you have to you carry all the weights by hand <laughs> to load them on, on the scales and off the scales. So you would yeah. just pretty much just drive around recalibrating all of these different like what was your radius i mean we went probably within uh we'll call it a i don't know six hour seven hour radius of baton rouge louisiana so just kind of like all around there and we we went to like middle of nowhere mississippi to like you know part of texas and it was it was tough i mean you my my uncle he doesn't work out but he's like really strong Right. Farmer strong. Farmer strong. Yeah. And literally you, you do in like CrossFit and these other workouts, farmer carry. Right. And I'm, I'm always laughing when I'm doing this because I'm like, this is what people do for a job. And we're like, we're in like air conditioning gym doing these weight, like farmer carry things a lot of the time. So I'm just like, this is crazy. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it brings back good and bad memories for me. Um, I actually worked on a 18 wheeler. Mm -hmm. I was unloading Italian food products. Uh, we had like 14 stops a day okay. um, all over Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And you'd stop at these little pizza restaurants and we would unload like 30,000 pounds a day. And I was Whoa. like this scrawny 18 year old kid. Um, but it was my girlfriend at the time. It was her mom's boyfriend. And for me, it was like a hundred bucks cash to do this. So I didn't Whoa. mind it. I just sat in the, in the, uh, in the seat he drove mm -hmm. and then we'd get to the stop and like i liked it because i didn't have to listen to nobody like at 18 <laughs> like i feel like a lot of people a lot of go-getters can this will hit home with you it's like you didn't want to be told what to do so yeah. i knew that all i had to do is pick the weight up put it down yeah and, that's it. and that was it and then i could listen to music or do whatever else yeah um and so, 100 bucks cash was sweet i mean that's great that that didn't inspire you to go into a career of meat delivery <laughs> <laughs> so this is what actually happened um we were at our last stop one day, mm -hmm. and the the blocks of cheese were like fifty pounds. And Whoa. what we would do is he would be in the truck, and he would put it to the end of the truck. I would take the cheese, put it on the dolly, mm -hmm. and it's the end of the day. I'm not really paying attention, and the dolly isn't on flat ground. It was like a little bit crooked. Okay, and I dropped. I bent over, dropped the block of cheese on the dolly, and it smacked me in the head. Oh. Like the metal piece of the the middle bar of the dolly just hit me in the head. Yeah, and. Uh, he starts laughing because he hear, he sees me go, ah, oh, shit. Yeah. And I bump back. And then I see his face go from like laugh to like kind of uh -oh. like a shocked look. Yeah. And I'm like, what? And I put my hand on my, on my like forehead and it's just like blood red. Oh. And I'm like, fuck. Like, <laughs> what happened? So like it hit my eye. Uh -huh. And if you, anybody that's played hockey knows this, yeah. like you get, hit in the, you get nicked in the eye and it just yeah. like gushes yeah. anywhere, everywhere. Yeah. Luckily, I mean, we freaked the, the restaurant owner out, but luckily, like, on these 18-wheelers, they have, I forget what it was called, but they have this, like, gook mm -hmm. for, like, cuts or scrapes and stuff yeah. because these truckles will be in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And we just put that on. It stopped the bleeding. And when we went home that night, like, I didn't get home till like, 8 or 9. I had to go to the hospital, get stitches, got home at, like, 
midnight, had to wake back up at three or four to get ready for the truck again the next day. Uh, and that's when I was just like, yeah, this is just never going to be a sustain. Like anything like <laughs> this is just not sustainable. <laughs> not for me. It's cool right now. Yeah. Um, and it's funny you mentioned air conditioning because while I had this job, I was applying to internships as well. And I ended up landing one in a, an air conditioning pharmaceutical manufacturing facility oh. that had its other cons, which was like never seeing daylight, yeah. um, which I realized I really enjoyed daylight. So there's always a mix and a match. And that's really what I want to shift this into is like, obviously you, you take on a lot of things and you start learning what you really do like. And when I was looking into your background, I started noticing that not just the odd jobs that you have, but you've had actual careers in different things and different passions. What would your advice be to people out there that might be at a job right now that they currently don't enjoy, but it's paying their bills mm -hmm. and helping them kind of get to the next day, but they do have an interest in doing something else. Cause like one of the things that I saw you did was like in oil and gas yeah. and then you bumped to somewhere else and it wasn't like, for me, I was jumping every single year, but it seemed like for you, you kind of like would stick something out and then mm -hmm. move to something else. So I feel like you're the right type of person to ask this question of like figuring out the next path while you're still in something that is sustainable and, and yeah. helping you live your life. Yeah, I mean, it's one of these things that, that I get asked from friends and family and, and people that are in jobs that they don't necessarily really enjoy they don't feel like they're thriving but they're surviving because they got to pay the bills and they got to make it to the next day to the next month to the next year the challenge is you look around and it's been 10 years and you're in this job that you don't enjoy you're in this career you don't enjoy that's not maximizing your potential now that's not to be confused with the great resignation which you know look we can talk about that all day uh everybody says hey that's just realization that they're in jobs they don't like and they're quit now what um, now it looks like we're entering in a recession and, and people are saying, okay, what am I going to do? There's this mix of, oh, I need to hurry up and find a job. It's like uh, musical chairs, right? Cause like companies are starting to do layoffs. It starts with the big companies that'll get into the small companies next. And, you know, I've got, even my brother, we were talking about this, he's in oil and gas and he says, well, you know, if I do a career change, maybe I'll get laid off. And I said, look, you can worry about everything. Right. But I like to think about what's in front of me. So for me, when I worked in oil and gas, I was there for about five years and I knew CJ, the very first meeting I had was actually in Austin, Texas. And I knew that meeting, that career is not for me. Literally the very first meeting I had. Okay. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> okay. So some might say, well, Hey man, if you're a smart guy, why not just quit right away? And I said, well, I, 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 I kind of like looked inside and said, okay, I accepted this job. I'm making a change. I'm leaving Louisiana for the first time, moving to Texas. Mm. And I was actually living in Houston for a while. And uh, I said, let me just give this a try. Somebody, uh, one of my mentors said, you can do anything for a year. And I said, okay. So I committed to doing that for at least a year. And what I learned in that first year and a job that I didn't love was that I could still provide value for that company. I could learn things. I could make money. And while I'm doing that, I'm kind of thinking about what I want to do next. What is my passion? What do I want to do? And it didn't come to me for a few years. You know, I read a lot of Inc. Magazine. I did a lot of like learning about other entrepreneurs, reading Tim Ferriss books, things like that. And I had a lot of ideas, but I learned that you can start a side hustle, right? A lot of people say, oh, I want to start a company. I should just quit my job. Okay, you can do that. But I like the version of, I'm going to go make sure this thing's going to make money first. 
and do that and use the income I have. So I'm still providing, the, I'm still working my allocated time for this company. I'm still providing value for them. I'm making money. I'm storing it. I'm socking it away, keeping my expenses low. And I'm using that money for financial freedom to get out and do whatever I want to do next, whether it's a career move, which I looked at, um, you know, getting into different industries and ultimately decided to start a series of businesses. I started buying real estate. Uh, I started throwing parties for New Year's because, hey, who doesn't want to go to a cool New Year's party? Uh, and then by the time I started Iconic, I was like, okay, it's, it's time to leave um, the oil and gas industry. So I had kind of like three side hustles. So I had a little bit of money coming in um, and then a little bit more coming in and finally enough to say, okay, I'm going to leave Shell. And it wasn't the same pay, uh, but it was enough to like pay the bills, right? I love that response. And what it makes me think of is being forced to eat the same thing every day versus going to a buffet. And what I mean by that is when you're in your day-to-day job, Mm -hmm. yes, it could feel like you're being forced to eat that same thing over and over again. And that's how most people look at it, right? But the financial stability that it gives you allows you to go to the buffet every once in a while. And what I mean by that, you mentioned side hustle. You can start and fail things without ruining your life. Right. When you have a sustainable job or a full-time job. And that's what I see a lot of people, they jump ship Mm -hmm. and then their thing fails and then their life is just completely shifted or altered versus they could have tested that market or tested that product or service while they were at their, at their previous job. And I think, I love that you're preaching this, especially during a time of like the great resignation where maybe 20 years ago when there's, there's no iPhones, right? Yeah, Yeah. So there's no Instagram, there's no YouTube, there's no like side hustle is a lot harder to get off the ground yeah. versus now you could literally start in your underwear. Yeah. Sell, if, sell things on the internet. If Yeah. So <laughs> that's where, yeah. if this were you today, what kind of direction would you go down? I've had this question and I think it's a great one. Uh, there's so many opportunities to make money by providing value on the internet. If you want to, if you want to start something, and you don't want to quit your day job, look at the internet, man. I mean, you can sell so many things. You can sell information, right? You can sell, which is, I think, the best product. You can sell information. It's all margin. It's what you know. Someone said, well, what would I sell? I don't know. Go Google what, how to sell things on the internet. If you can't find a good course on how to sell things on the internet, maybe that's your opportunity. Create a course on how to sell things on the internet because you're, you're literally tracking what you learn and then you sell that information because someone else wants to, to learn that and they want to buy that. Uh, it could be a product. It could be a problem you're solving. It could be, hey, listen, I'm always looking at this thing on Amazon and I can never find enough of it or I can't find a good one. Well, guess what? Why not go create it and sell something on Amazon? There's people that make money just reselling stuff. Like people will go buy our product, Iconic, and resell it at a higher price, knowing at some point we're going to go out of stock or our listing will get held up or who knows what. And so when that happens, customers will hit us up. Oh, man, a case of Iconic's 50 or 60 bucks. Why would you guys raise the price? I'm like, who's selling it? No one looks at who's selling it, right? It's like They're a- just yelling a- at you. ABC Nutrition. Oh, okay. I'm like, look, I can't control other people price gouging when we go out of stock. But somebody's making money on that, you know? Yeah. I've actually never thought about that. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's there's a oh. whole Amazon arbitrage model where people are just like reselling things there. Oh, it's funny you're bringing this up. Um, I, I have done this before in college. Yeah. Okay. For Loco. Okay. Do you remember Four Locos? I do. I yes. do. Yes, so they went out 
Uh-huh. We found out that they were becoming illegal. Like yeah. they were banning Ooh. them. Yeah. And we bought uh-huh. thousands of dollars of four lo- worth of four loco. Yeah. So we had this stock. Our buddy had this stock, <laughs> and then he was selling them for like five x what a can was worth at the time. Oh, so that was my man. first experience with kind of like the arbitrage. Yeah. Um, I don't. Yeah. It's funny. This is the second time this week that this is that this word has come up because my other buddy Ryan Helms, who's been on here, we were chatting about Airbnb arbitrage, and mm-hmm. I'm like you find uh, somebody that has a house for rent and then they let you do the Airbnb process yeah. out of it. So that's something that I've been kind of like looking into. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like a lot recently. of people have been doing that too. I mean, I have friends that are dabbling in entrepreneurship and they have an apartment and they find out, okay, I can Airbnb it and they Airbnb it because they want to travel more. That's their big COVID unlock because I want to work from anywhere, be a nomad around the world. And they've got some big, big, big expensive lease in New York or something. And they're like, Oh my God, Oh my, what, you can make so much money like Airbnb in your place. I'm like, yeah, man, people have an entire business that's just Airbnb properties. You know, I've got a friend in Miami. He's got, he started with his own apartment that he just like rented out on Airbnb and people want to go to Miami. They want to have a good time. They want to stay in Brickle or wherever. And then he realizes, you know what? Why don't I just rent out like more of these? So he finds other people in the building that also want to do the same thing. Then he finds other listings. He just takes a cut. Yeah, and he undercuts yeah. other listings and say, hey, look, I'm going to do a better job than whoever's managing your thing. And like if, it's, if it doesn't work, it's, you know, you have your money back or whatever. And so now he's got 50 or 60 of these things and he's got a whole business. And then he started a cleaning service company because <laughs> all the Airbnbs need cleaning service and all the cleaning services are bad. So he's like, dude, I've got, if you've got like three different businesses from renting out one Airbnb. What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Billy. I hope you're loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low, and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you, though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now, you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. Head over to cjfinley.com and sign up for my daily newsletter, where I will be giving you information, impactful stories, tips and tricks, and access to a community who are focused on making an impact above and beyond themselves. You'll also have the perk of exclusive giveaways, potential shout outs, and possibly even some collaborations. The least that will happen is you will walk away into every day with an extra pep in your step. My promise is that I will always do my best to help you thrive on life. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the conversation with Billy Bosch. Everybody's scared to share that, that their idea. Everybody's got some great idea, right? Oh, CJ, okay. I'm going to get you to sign this NDA. <laughs> Please, you can't tell anything. Dude, no one ca- no one cares. I just tell people that. You know what? No one cares. And they're so offended. Oh, what do you mean no one cares? How do you know? I say, can you patent this? Can you patent it? Okay, maybe. Okay, so if you patent it, let's play this out. You got 20 years so that patent expires, okay? So how are you going to get this to market and make a bunch of money in the next 20 years? You've never even done a patent. It's going to take five years <laughs> to do the patent. Then you got to figure out how to get the market. That's another five years. Then you only got 10 years left, okay? So it's like, you know what? Share the idea because no one's as passionate about your idea as you are. 
right? So why not get that feedback? Because people may say, you know what? If no one wants to hear about your idea, maybe it is bad. <laughs> maybe you should think about changing that, right? Or why not do a Kickstarter and see if people want to buy it? I cannot wait to clip this specific piece of content up. This hits <laughs> home so much with me. Um, I'm shouting a lot of people out today uh, just because things are, you're, you're yeah. just hitting the nail on the head. Uh, my buddy, Dr. Matt, Delgado from uh, Life Spring Chiropractic. Way back when, he was like one of my first friends here in Austin, Texas, and he's mm -hmm. building a chiropractic. And I literally said to him, Matt, nobody gives a fuck about <laughs> chiropractic. I yeah. was like, if you want to scale your chiropractic business, mm -hmm. you need to scale. First, I focus on himself. Like, scale yourself. Yeah. Like, people buy from people. Yes. If they like Dr. Matt mm -hmm. and they like what you're doing. Yep they're going to buy from you. That's that's the, the lowest common denominator is be a good human being that provides a quality service. Yes. A valuable service. And yeah. that's the next question I want to go into is you mentioned value. Mm -hmm. So for a chiropractor, it's like I understand very quickly, like mm -hmm. is he valuable to me? Like yeah. is he curing my pain? Yeah. And I think this is where a lot of people get confused when they hear value online or you, you mentioned the digital world and looking at the internet. Like, how information can be valuable or yeah. how I can be, you mentioned just finding somebody to be valuable to. Value comes in so many different forms and this is the number one, probably the number one confusing thing to somebody that's in the corporate world versus somebody that's an entrepreneur because they look at me and they're like, what do you do all day? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But they, but for me, it's providing value to people everywhere I go. And yeah. a great instance is even in this very moment, I have cameras rolling. Mm-hmm. Most of the people that come on the podcast with like, yeah, they want to have a conversation with me. But in 2022, they're excited because they're like, man, I'm going to get some good content from yeah. this. So that's a value added service right there. Right. Then beyond that, you're like, okay, what type of content do people find valuable nowadays? Well, it's mm -hmm. reels, it's TikToks, it's like that quick stuff. It's right. all shot in vertical. So what are we doing right now? Shooting in vertical. So that's like a very practical way that right now... I can provide some extra value above and beyond just having a conversation with you. Mm -hmm. But somebody that's listening out there that, one, has no clue what I just even said. Two, is probably a little bit not confident in themselves and a little mm -hmm. bit insecure. How do they get to that level of life where, one, they understand what value is. I'd love for you to define that. But two, how do they take action on providing that value once they've defined it? Yeah, I, I, I think it's something that, most of us have struggled with. Uh, for me, I can I can skew a little bit more introvert than extrovert. I can get extroverted around people. But then, of course, I need my downtime. And I've never been one. It, it feel, It's always felt a bit self-indulgent to be the one putting yourself on mm. camera and putting stuff out there and creating content and all this stuff, <laughs> right? And, and I don't know when it hit me, but I started to realize that, uh, you know, like there's this whole value chain, right? Because... I realized, okay, I'm creating a product because I want to help people be healthier in an easy, easier way. Okay. So I'm creating value for people and I'm monetizing that. And that, that keeps the whole flywheel going. That keeps the business going. We can employ more people. We can help these people because they have jobs. So I'm creating value there. And then I realized, okay, we're in all these stores. How do we get awareness of this product that can provide this great value for people? Well, 
I need people to talk about it. It's all word of mouth. It's always been word of mouth throughout human history, right? Why do people move somewhere else? Oh, the animals are over there. You have more food. Okay, we'll go over there. Word of mouth, right? <laughs> That's the OG marketing. I we love need this. food. I heard there's food over there. Let's go, right? <laughs> I'm starving. <laughs> I'm starving. <laughs> literally, I'm starving. <laughs> I'm not intermittent fasting. I'm literally yeah. <laughs> dying of hunger. Uh, and so I think, okay. How do I get the word out? Well, it's social media. Okay, so social media, we need, you know, influencers, we need affiliates, we need all these people. And I'm, I'm so reliant. I kind of feel helpless, right? Over the past few years, okay, I got to be reliant on these people. And so finally, I said, you know what? People are asking me about the business. How do you start it? How do you create products? Things like that. I get tired of answering the, the same questions over and over again, but I love helping people. So why not just create videos about that? And so I, I started putting myself in front of the camera on my own social media and just sharing like business tips and experiences from starting the business and people were really digging it. Right. I was like, okay. So I'll, I'll just do more of this and I have to just force myself out of my comfort zone to be uncomfortable because I know at the end of the day, I'm providing value for people, but I'm also creating independence and what, why independence? Well, if I want to go start another company or another product or another service and already have an audience that's engaged in the value I'm providing, then it's going to be easier to launch that product or service because I have an audience and audience is currency. Okay? It's like your 401k. Yeah, exactly. It's my 401k. <laughs> yeah. That's how I look at it. And yeah. That, yeah. Th it's that's, totally true. It's literally my retirement plan is yeah. to have a, a, a quality enough audience mm -hmm. where if I have some type of value that I want to bring to the world, I can at least get it off the ground because yes. if you can get it off the ground and you can get that word of mouth going, then you have a shot to get to the, to the next step. And I'd love to understand a little bit more of like how that even start, like how did Iconic start mm -hmm. from idea phase into you had it in your first bottle. Yeah. CPG is such a beast and the average person doesn't understand what goes into getting it from idea to creation to sitting at a store it's it's a massive project and a massive undertaking, um, especially to do it at scale like you have. Yeah. So I'd love to kind of like dial back uh, the dates here to when it originally started and how did you figure out that was a value that you wanted to provide and how did you go about like even creating the first bottle of Iconic? Yeah, it's funny because when I, st I started with, should I even start a beverage company, right? Because it's the, when I thought about, okay, what problems can I solve? And and I really thought about it in terms of providing value. When I started Iconic, I said, what problem can I solve for people? Well, and it even started before that because I started and I had my own problems. I was working out plenty. Uh, I, knew how to, I knew my way around the gym, but I wound up having really high cholesterol and acid reflux every night so that, to the point where I was sleeping at a 90-degree angle. And anybody that's eating in Texas or Louisiana, you know the food is good, all right? So I'm, I'm working in oil and gas. I'm eating barbecue every day, having fast food, eating eating steaks when I take clients out, things like that. Go back to Louisiana, eat Cajun food, everything. If you don't know what Cajun food is, it's spicy with flavor, fried covered in cream sauce. That's the general theme of Cajun food. <laughs> diabetes. <laughs> yeah, diabetes on plate. Okay. So it, it's very challenging to be healthy. Even if you're working out, there's not an even offset there. And I go to a, a doctor and the doctor says, hey, I have a couple prescriptions for this and this. It gave me a statin. I'm like, dude, I'm like in my 20s. Why am I taking statins every day? And Did you I was, actually take them? I, I, I took a couple and I was like, no, this is crazy. This is, I can't wow. do this. Yeah. They gave me some samples and 
And it's funny because I actually interviewed with Pfizer and had a job offer out of college as well, uh, as well as oil and gas. And I, I, I just couldn't do it, man. I was like going, and I had a flashback to that moment when I'm in the doctor's office and we're just like pushing scripts, pushing scripts. Like how many, how can we get these doctors to like write more scripts? Like here are 10 other reasons people need statins or something, right? Wow. And I'm like, man, I can't do this. And you're cutting in front of patients and stuff. And, and it, it was just, I, I didn't feel good about it. And look, you can provide a lot of value for, you know, people that work for these companies, but it just wasn't for me. So anyway, I had a flashback to that. And I said, you know what? Enough with the doctor stuff. Uh, let me let me at least go to a dietitian, and I, so I go to a dietitian, and she says, "You know what? Well, food is actually the problem, but it can be the solution. This is you already work out. This is just cleaning up your diet, right? This is putting the right stuff in your body. So let's start with that. You need more protein and fiber. That's going to fill you up, help you make better decisions when you get really hangry and you're on the road or whatever. Uh, cut your sugar, right? Because I was having way too much sugar in my diet. So she says, okay." Uh, basically here's a, here's a drink to mix up every day. I said, ah, I'm not going to really do that because like I'm on the road, I'm busy. And that was the, the aha moment of if there's really not a drink, a dietitian would actually stand behind, you know, cause there's all these brands out there that have sucralose and aspartame that are linked to cancer and brain tumors uh, or have way too much sugar, like diabetes. I said, how hard can it be to put all these ingredients in a bottle and create a drink company? Because I know my pain point is mixing it every day. So why do a powder? There's already a ton of powders out there. I'll just do a drink. There seem to be less drinks. How hard can this be? Famous last words. <laughs> and I asked around, as a, should I start a beverage company? And I, I actually have a, a family member that's in like the CPG industry and the applesauce industry. And I said, you know, should I, should I start a beverage company? He said, absolutely not. Horrible idea. Super competitive, very expensive, ton ton of cost and inventory. I said, thanks for the advice. And I went and started a beverage company. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes it's good to, to, to trust what you want to do. And then other times it's good to pivot. Because if I could go talk to myself back then starting Iconic, I'd say, you know what? There's a lot of, you're, you're pushing this rock uphill starting this beverage company. Why not continue to do that? See if you can get the beverage made. But since you're, you're, you're kind of swimming upstream here, why not in the meantime with these ingredients make a powder, make sure people are, are feeling and, and into the actual formula, start selling some powder to get some baseline revenue, see if that gets going, tweak the formula, and then when you have some, some downstream opportunity, then make a beverage because it's so much easier to make a powder. Literally, CJ, we could go in the kitchen, mix up powder, seal them, and go sell them. Nobody's stopping us. We could take over the world with hand-sealed powders out of your kitchen. <laughs> Sounds like I might C have to create CJ's a Thrive. kitchen blend. Yeah. <laughs> thrive on life powder right There now. we go. Like, we could do it. We could do it. You want to thrive on life? Here we Just go. Just take this little plastic bag of powder. This is the start of a new business, y'all. This is how it gets started, right? Versus beverages, man, you have to you have to run hundreds of thousands of bottles at a time. You got to buy all the ingredients. You got to buy all the packaging. You have to figure out where to warehouse and all it, it, it's just it's an enormous thing it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars out the window just to see if this thing's going to work uh so it, it's challenging and it you know 10 years later i'm really happy i did it but i've learned a lot and so what i do is try to share these experiences so people that want to go down this path can find a cheaper way to get started so much to unpack <laughs> I, I could sit here for the next three hours and talk about this but i'm trying to dial into what is what would be most valuable to the yeah. listeners out there so 
Obviously, we go down the powder path. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that. So if you're out there and you've been wanting to start a powder, get to it, just like Billy says. But what if I am that stubborn person that wants to bottle a beverage, just like you were talking about? And I'm the type of person that I love a challenge, and it sounds like you signed up for a challenge. How did you even get to the step of bottling them? So it has a cost to it. So did yeah. you raise money in the beginning? How much, what was your day looking like? Were you splitting time between raising money? Were you like doing friends and family raises? Were you uh, calling up people to manufacture and distribute yeah. the product? Like what did that look like in the very beginning? Because obviously you had no experience in this. You were coming from oil and gas yeah. and other careers, paths, mm-hmm. and then throwing parties on New Year's Eve yeah. to, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be a founder of a, bottled beverage yeah complete 180 yeah totally what was the daily life looking like in the beginning uh okay let's go through this let me see if i can like oversimplify this because i like to do that for people i'm a chronic oversimplifier that's probably why i start businesses because it's sometimes it's way too complicated i'm like how hard can this be right (laughs) okay so how do you start a beverage company specifically how do you start a protein drink company one have a lot of money Okay. Make sure you have at least 500k. So what I did is I went. Perfect. I put I put some of my own money in from some, from the other business through a New Year's party. Translate that into protein drink. Check. Okay. And then I went and did business plan competitions. So specifically in New Orleans, there was a lot of business plan competitions at the time, where Tulane has one and there's a cash prize. You win the Tulane business school competition. It's like 50k. Okay. So there was that one. There's a few other ones. And I, I entered a few pitch competitions where there's, you know, you can win $10,000, $5,000 and just bombed, bombed, bombed. It was not good. Right. But then eventually I got better. I used to have a thicker accent and people that were kind of helping out coaching, uh, these pitch competitions. They're like, dude, you sound like you have marbles in your mouth. <laughs> you sound like Bobby Boucher from The Water Boy. Like no one can understand you. So like, let's work on your pronunciation. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, so so make sure you can speak clearly so people can understand you, right? Uh, but find find ways to get no strings attached capital, whether it's through um, you know business plan competitions or. Uh, doing Kickstarter where you can just pre-sell inventory, things like that. Uh, there's also SBA loans. I did a small small business loan. So I rounded up about 500K to cover the first big round of production and packaging and all this kind of stuff through business plan competitions that I started to win. I won the Tulane competition. I won a few other ones. Then I did a $250,000 loan. Um, and so that was the original capital get going. Yeah. So I love this. This is such valuable advice. And yeah. The cool thing about the pitch competitions is you also start going – the other thing that brings wealth, and I don't mean wealth as in just money, but like resources, mm-hmm. is your network. Yeah. And people start hearing about your product and seeing you. And again, going back to what we said earlier, people buy from people. Yes. And um, if you get up there and you have the balls to start pitching and you're mm-hmm. doing it over and over again and you're in that circle, like people start believing in Billy. And that's yes. really what needs to happen. But I'd love to talk about the loan process because this is another thing that – people don't understand they're sitting out there dropping a hundred K in debt for college. But it's just like, if you have a business idea, there's ways for you to, instead of going in debt for college, like you can try out your idea in a different way. So how did you go about, what did that loan process look like? Yeah, the loan, there's a, there was a process through the new Orleans bioinnovation center, uh, which is a, a kind of like a business incubator in new Orleans. Uh, and they have a pile of cash, that they allocate for businesses at low interest rates. 
and you can do this. It's, it's, it's basically like a mini SBA. The Small Business Association has similar programs where you can go get a loan for relatively low interest, call it, you know, three, four, five, six percent, something. Anything under 10 is pretty good for a risky business idea. And all businesses are generally risky <laughs> ideas. So if you can get that, um, most of them will require you to personally guarantee it. So this one I had a personally guarantee, which means if you don't pay this back, you are personally liable to pay this back. And I called my dad at the time, he's my CPA, and I said, Dad, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go all in on this. And that way if I go bankrupt, I can declare it before I'm thirty. And he's like, I don't think you're gonna go bankrupt. Like, cool your jets. Like, I think you got this. <laughs> and I was like, Okay, okay, maybe I do. But even that, yeah. like that's yeah. not a bad like you yeah. go bankrupt before you start. Like it's, it's not recoverable. It's like recoverable. you're alive. Yeah. You have people around you that love you. Yeah. You tried your idea, and you yeah. probably learned a lot along the way. So that's exactly. a great view of it. Yeah. And so there's different loan programs you can find out there. And and the other thing about trying out whatever idea you have is I think about like what am when I'm laying around dying, and I want to be 160 one day, right? So I can provide the most impact possible. <laughs> and I think that's like possibly realistic. So okay, so when I'm 160 and I'm laying down dying, and CJ's a couple beds over, and he's he's probably gonna outlive me, but he's there too. And we're in some futuristic, you know, senior living place that we're doing CrossFit each morning and, and high rocks competitions <laughs> for old people. <laughs> we, it's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. And we want to say, aren't we glad we left it all in the field? Aren't we glad we attempted to launch or test out every idea that seemed remotely possible in our head, right? Because then you don't have those regrets. You know, when people are dying... And hopefully everybody's had the top opportunity to talk to someone at the end of their life and ask them, like, you know, tell me, give me some pearl of wisdom. And, and nine times out of ten, they're going to say, make sure you do what you want to do. Live the life you want to live. You want to start a business? Go start the business, man. And, and the good news is there's ways to start businesses now that don't even require cash. They don't even require capital. You and I can go start you know, CJ's protein powder tomorrow on Kickstarter. We can do a video here, film it on an iPhone. We can post it on Kickstarter. We can pre-sell the inventory. That way we don't even have to pay for anything, right? And it's literally no cash needed and you're testing the idea and there's no cost except for your time. And we can do that and both have day jobs and be fine, right? There's plenty of companies that started like that where you can, you can do that and get that off the ground. And if you need a loan down the road, go get a loan. I never would have quit my job if we were in 2022 really? because the ability to have remote jobs mm -hmm. where you have high leverage, meaning if you have a skill, mm -hmm. social media and video editing, right? Yeah. I could edit for companies and yeah. I could do it on my time as yeah. long as it hits the timeline, have a full-time job, salary benefits, build my thing on the side. Done. But even I quit in 2017, it was still a little taboo to work fully remote or fully online it, it, instagram stories had just come out to yeah. like dial back the clock that was only like five six years ago that's crazy like yeah. stories didn't exist then so the ability to like really be valuable we were chatting a little bit about real estate prior to this and like i'm posting some of the things that i've went through mm -hmm. in the real estate world and people DM and ask me questions because they saw a story that I posted. That never existed. Yeah. So right then and there, I could be like, damn, I could create a course around how I bought a property, sold a property, built another property, and then how to do it yourself uh, 
and keep your full-time job and build a business on the side and have really cool friends like Billy (laughs) that you get to hang out with. I could start selling that information for that. So the reason I'm saying all this is to, if you were listening to this whole conversation, going back to when Billy was talking about being valuable, the the first step to being valuable is understanding what is valuable and who that target customer is. So when you were building this initial product Mm -hmm. and you were solving your problem, how did you go about validating that this was an issue for other people? Because this is the step that a ton of people skip. Mm -hmm. Like, and this is why a lot of businesses fail. Yeah. They create a product that they think solves a problem for the masses, but the reality is their ego gets in the way and it only solves a problem for themselves. Yeah. Um, and a few other people, it just isn't big enough to really get the momentum that it needs. Yeah. How did you go about proving that this was something that everybody else wanted as well? Well, it's funny. Part of the pitch process of pitching an idea is exactly that. It's kind of market research, right? So I, I honed in on on a pitch because uh, originally uh, I think our product was called like uh, MRD and it was going to be like camp urban camouflage meal replacement <laughs> drink. And it was going to be like literally like an MRE in a bottle. And I like that. Yeah, I, I thought that's, it was right. Yeah. Is there anything out there like that? Maybe I it mean, has legs now. Maybe, I, I, I just target guys yeah. in the army. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, maybe they didn't have the best experience with MREs. So you, you got it. I learned uh, that there's this connotation <laughs> that like it's going to taste really bad. <laughs> that was hey. part of the learning there. But there's a way to get over that. There's a way to, to make something taste really good that is a meal replacement. But I also learned there was more of a demand for people that wanted something that was lower calorie. People were scared to drink something that was like four or 500 calories. Because I already, and especially coming out of COVID, dude, 80% of people are overweight. Like statistically speaking, facts. And so people are looking for less calories and they're looking for ways to speed up their metabolism. So it's a, let, let, me, let me trim down the calorie count of this product and do something that's more of like a light meal replacement that will speed up your metabolism. So let's get around that 100 calorie mark. Let's make sure it's got the same amount of protein as a piece of fish or breast of chicken or a few eggs and and have like no sugar in it whatsoever. And so that that became the product. And that pitch process of saying, hey, listen, who wants to be healthy? Everybody raises their hand. Who doesn't? I mean, if you're, you just want to die, I guess, if you don't want to be healthy. Everybody wants to be healthy. Do they want to do what it takes to be healthy? That's maybe a smaller percentage, okay? So I said, what if being healthy was easy and all you had to do to be a little bit healthier was drink one one of these drinks a day and it tastes like chocolate milk, okay? I still have a captive audience because almost everybody wants to do that. And then it's, okay, now I have something here. If there's a way to help people have an easy button for health through products, that's the opportunity versus like making it overly complicated for people. So that was a big unlock for refining the product concept and market research or literally just talking to people. And now you can do that on social media. Now you can just post about it and put a, literally put a poll on an Instagram story uh, and say like, give me a, like, would you buy this or not? Do you like this or not? Like, what else do you want to see? Like have an open-ended question. Back then, you know, I spent a couple thousand bucks doing like some market research and you hire this company and they give you like, you know, a thousand random people within a certain demographic and you can still do that. But I think it's easier now to just post some stuff on social. And even again, like I encourage people to do, and I think Kickstarter was in its early days there. I didn't really take it too seriously. I probably should have given that a try. But now people can literally just go do one of these crowdfunding platforms, whether it's for starting your product or even raising money. You can go to Start Engine or one of these platforms 
Element is doing right, this right now, the salt company, right? I invested in them. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I, I talked to their, uh, their CEO recently, and I said, man, you guys have been profitable from the first sale. Like, and I don't think you would mind me sharing this. I'm going to go high level. But I said, why even raise money? It's like a few million bucks. Like, what, what do you need this for? You guys are doing like 50 million bucks in sales. And he says, well, man, this is like us giving our best customers and raving fans an opportunity to be owners in the company yep, and also be even bigger brand ambassadors. Because if you're an owner in this company like you are now, you're going to go tell me and about Element, everybody else about Element. You talk about, you said a money, not risk-free money. What did you call it? Um, Attachment-free. Yeah, yeah they're getting almost attachment free money because this is a product that I literally drink every day, like mm -hmm. training for high rocks and being in, in Texas, a yeah. hundred degrees. Like I, I'm drinking three or four different electrolyte products every single day. Yeah. One of them is LMNT and yeah. they're the ones that were like, Hey, like you could buy into us. Yeah. And for me, it's, it's attachment free money because like, I'm probably never going to see that money again. I don't, I don't know. There's yeah. no guarantees. Right. Right. But I believe in that product and I, it's like giving money to your friend. That's yeah. what I believe. It's like, but then I'm also still buying the product. So it was so smart because I invested in the product. Yeah. It's not like I get free LMNT for the rest of my life and yeah. then I'm still buying it <laughs> every month, but I'm yeah. the champion of their brand now. Um, so it was brilliant on their end and that really unlocked some ideas for me in the, in the, in the future of like, as you're building companies, how to set aside the structure to allow for your, your dream customers to eventually buy in early on yes. rather than like when anybody can buy Apple stock, right? They're IPO'd, but like, yeah. how do you get them involved early on? So I like that you, uh, you, this is the type of conversations I love to have, yeah. but I, uh, I know we can get into the weeds and people might not necessarily understand what it is that we're talking about, but what step did you take where you started realizing like, wow, this is actually going to become something because there's this vivid picture in my mind that I've been talking about for a while. I don't know if I said it on a podcast, but my buddy Yash just sent it to me yesterday mm -hmm. again. And it's two guys with a pickaxe and it's top to bottom. There's It's two cartoons in one photo. And the one on the top had given up and he put, he's walking, He's walking back and the one on the bottom is like two feet away from a big ass diamond. And the one on the top was two feet away too, but he gave up. Mm. And anytime that I have difficulties or challenges in my building process, all I do is think about that diamond. And you can set the diamond to everything you want to be. Like, I don't give a shit about diamonds. Like yeah. I want freedom and travel and, and good people like yourself yeah. around me. So it's like, what can get me to there? And that's what I start thinking about. But for you, Obviously, there's a million difficulties we could go into, but mm. I kind of want to shift into what kept you going in that moment, and how did you know, okay, this actually has some legs, and like I'm potentially going to scale this company? So I think there, there's probably two things to discuss there. So one is what kept me going, and persistence has been like a theme in my life. Uh, it's It's been a word that I've, I've felt really attached to, and when I had my first few jobs, I had some bosses that, looking back, were pretty tough on me. And they didn't really let me quit. You know, if I did a half-assed job, I remember the one guy says, go pick up trash outside of the store. Okay, pick up trash. And I come back in, he goes, I still see some trash out there. I said, yeah, it's like cigarette bucks or something. It's like super small. He said, son, that's a half-assed job. Go back out there, 
pick up everything. I don't want to see a speck of trash. I said, yeah, but people, it's on a road. It's on a busy road. People are going to throw trash out here every day. He's like, look, it doesn't matter. We're going to pick it up every day because that's what we do. We have a clean storefront, okay? So go out there and pick up the trash. And I almost, it's one of these kind of emotional moments as kids where you almost be like, screw this guy. I just want to quit and leave. <laughs> you know, and it's a friend of my dad's. I don't want to embarrass him. And I wanted to make money for the summer. I said, you know what? Fine, I'll pick up the trash. I'll, I'll show him. I'm gonna pay, I'm gonna spend an hour out here picking up trash. <laughs> I'll just he's paying me. I'll just pick up trash all day. And then I slowly began to realize why that made sense, and I had a lot more respect for him. And so part of this was that voice in my head uh, that was like, "Look, you're not quitting." Okay. When when I, I had this one moment, there are many moments of brinks of failure with Iconic, right? But like many small businesses, but one in particular where we had a manufacturer that had a big recall. Uh, we were going to run a test production run there. And then I had to move to another production facility in Michigan. And they had some issues at the last minute. And they said, hey, we're really sorry. Um, we don't think we can run this thing because like we got a bigger client, like Muscle Milk needed to run a huge run and we've never heard of you. And we get. And I, I said, look, man, I put all my money in this. And at the time it was, I put like, you know, I think thirty or $40,000 just in the buying the packaging and ingredients. And I said, I'm going to be totally out of money, broke and destitute if you guys don't run this. And I'll, I'm flying there tomorrow. No, 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 you don't have to. So I got on a flight, plane and flew there. And I said, guys, I'm here. We got to run this. Like just, I'll, I, I need like 10 pallets of this stuff. Like not even that much. You know, these big companies are running 20 truckloads. And they looked at me and said, okay, we'll do it. And that was a pivotal moment. And that's when I realized the power of human connection, like going there and not pleading with them, but just saying, putting all your cards on the table and being open and transparent with people and vulnerable and saying, hey, look, man, this is a big deal for me. I put my faith in you guys that you're going to run this product and I'm here and I need you to do it. And I could have quit then. I actually said, you know what? 30k is a loss i'll go start a, i'll go work again somewhere else or i could start another company or get another job and i said no 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 I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna find a way to make this work like finding a way to get it done that that's what separates the entrepreneurs that have a business that that spans five ten years and beyond and the ones that go out of business in a year it doesn't mean sometimes you got to get you, you should give up and start something else because things just aren't going your way and it's time to try something else but there's a lot of people like this guy with the pickaxe that walks away that's two feet from the diamond and he could have just kept going. There's times where you need to push yourself and finish it, just like finishing a workout. You could quit halfway through the workout because you're tired, but you shouldn't. Finish the workout. Get it done. You'll be happy. Even if you fail, you'll be happy you you pushed the limit and got it done, right? So that, that was a pivotal moment to really push beyond what I thought was the limit and get it done. And then I had a product that I could take to market uh, that was, you know, I could go test sell and see what people thought of it. You got to do what you say. Yeah. That's when people start believing in you. And it's yeah. one thing that you called that guy up and said, I have all my money on the line. This is going to ruin me. Yeah. It's another thing for him to see you show up and be about it. Yeah. Is what I call it. Like, yeah, you, you got to be about it. You be about it. You look him in the <laughs> eyes or her in the eyes and you say, look, I'm here. I see you, you see me, I need this to happen, okay? And here's why. Be vulnerable, not like, oh, you have to do this for me, I'm entitled, but like, look, I, I'm, I'm out of cash, I'm done, I'm on the street. 
Okay. Yeah, you basically get <laughs> yeah. them to empathize with you because they yeah. see we see ourselves in people mm-hmm. when that happens, and he can empathize with. Okay, what if this was his business? Yeah, and this is this is that last little leg and that last little. And then also the other thing that I, it reminds me of is like, if you can, and this is why I love content and storytelling, is when you tell your story and you bring people into it, just like LMNT, it's he now can tell that story of like I helped this guy out and. It was at a point where he was, he was struggling. Yeah. But now it's thriving. And he can tell that story now, or yeah. he could tell the story of yeah, I just let, I that I just killed another guy's dream. Yeah. There, there's two stories you can tell there. So if you can get that person to understand, they're mm-hmm. way more likely to tell that first story of wow, I just really helped this person and they're crushing it and whatever. That's that's human ego. We all want to yes. we want to do that, right? Yeah. People like helping people, you know. Um. But we're close to wrapping up here. I want to get into the last few questions. Uh, would love for you to just describe uh, what your role is at Iconic today and, and what y'all are working on and um, how anybody that's listening to this can s- support that mission. Yeah, thank you. Uh, a few questions there. So hit me back if I, uh, if I miss one. But basically right now, I'm still obviously the founder. That never goes away. But I was CEO for the majority of the business uh, and about two years ago, I brought in a CEO to replace me, which has always been a goal of like, okay, how can I always think like, how can I build a business where I'm not needed? Right? That's the idea, because then the business is running on its own. Uh, And so I gave myself this title that's a bit made up of chief chief visionary officer, CVO. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative, right? (laughs) It's thought provoking. (laughs) So I just say, okay, I'm I'm here to I'm here to set the vision, y'all. You know, uh, in reality, what that means is I, I do a little bit of everything, right? I'm on sales calls with big customers like Walmart or Whole Foods. Uh, I'm thinking of ways to create new products. They're going to make money, provide value for people. I'm talking to customers to get customer insights. Uh, there's there's not a lot of the business I feel like I don't touch, um, but a lot of it's like strategic thinking about how to create more enterprise value in the business, but also how to um like create systems and processes so that the business runs really efficiently. Yeah, which is a big part of running a business. It's like the entrepreneur myth. There's a book about that called E-Myth, which I always recommend for people wanting to start wanting to start a business or an early stage of a business, which is about everything in the business is a system and a process that's repeatable. You have to have SOPs, uh standard operating procedures for everything in the business for it to run smoothly. And if you don't have those, that's when businesses have issues typically. Yeah. Um, so that's the day to day in the business now. Uh, and I've created a lot of freedom. I mean, we're a totally remote company and, and my goal was always to be able to work from anywhere in the world. And I'm here with you and I'm flying back to Miami. I'm living between Miami and Austin right now. And, uh, and then I'm going to go spend most of August in Europe, just working remote from different cities there, which is really my dream, right? It's that's like, awesome. that, that's where I want to be. Uh, so I've worked hard to get here and I'm, I'm very happy about that. And with iconic, you know, we're, we're in, I don't know, five, 6,000 stores these days, uh, half the business is online. Um, and so it's more about awareness, right? The big thing, like what's next for Iconic, it's always innovation, creating new products. Uh, but it's also like, how do we make sure everybody knows about it? How do people make sure people can try it and know that it's valuable? And it's really just like scaling that word of mouth, because if we're in all these stores, we're within a five to 10 minute drive of everyone's house in America. Right. For the most part, we'll call it 80 mm-hmm. percent of the population we're down the street from. So it's more scaling awareness. How do we make sure people know about the product? And I'm hoping that I helped you do that here today. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure talking with you. I could talk, man, you're, you're 
on point, hit the nail on the head in so many different areas. And I look forward to uh, growing our relationship Likewise. Uh, off the camera here. Yeah. Um, and then hearing about your trip in Europe, I am inspired because that's exactly what I want to do uh, in the future. And I'm going to make it happen as well. And just running, being able to cross paths with people like yourself who, who stuck it out and um, motivate me to continue down that path. Uh, it never goes unnoticed, and I'm, I'm very blessed and, and grateful to have you spend some of your time with me here today, especially because you're flying out. Literally, Billy shows up with his luggage here to the <laughs> podcast, um, so I appreciate that so much. Last two things I always ask everybody on the podcast. One, if somebody, if it hit home with somebody today, any words that you were saying, how do they get in contact with you? Yeah, if they want to get in contact with me, the best way is probably Instagram, uh, so it's just like... Uh, our business is Drink Iconic, and then I'm Iconic Life. Uh, so just hit me up on Iconic Life, and uh, that's a great way to reach out to me and get in contact. And happy to answer any questions. I love questions from people, anybody that's starting a business, um, things like that. I just want to make sure a lot of people help me start this business. So I'm always working to pay it forward to help other people. I love that. Yeah. And last question. If I were to ask you what does thriving mean to you and ask you to define that uh, in a sentence or two, what would that be? Yeah, thriving is living the best version of your life. Whatever, however you define that, that's going to be different for every every human. But I encourage people to write that down and strive for that. Write it down every day, every day, every day, every day so that you subliminally and plant that in your head. You're going to hit that version of thrive. Heck Yeah. It's been an honor. I uh, I talk a little bit about at the end of every episode what the biggest kind of like lesson I took from this. Um, and I don't think I'm going to be able to get you picking up cigarette butts out of my head <laughs> for a little while now. And it just, it hits home in so many ways that anybody listening to this, if, if you heard that story and, and you're listening to me now, if you... The way you do one thing is the way you do everything. It is. And if you can slow down to pick up those that trash, mm -hmm. no matter what it is, a task, you have to have that hard conversation, you have to write that SOP for your business, and you just keep chipping away at that, eventually you end up like building and being able to travel the world uh, and do what you love. So thanks again. Best way that you can help us is get Billy's story out there, drink some Iconic, and thrive on life. Talk to y'all soon. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of the small team here at Thrive on Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive on Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and connect with us there. We'd love to chat with you. Before I sign off, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life. <laughs>